Welcome to another edition of Mormonland. I'm managing editor Dave Noyce, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Dave. The group Fair Mormon is dedicated to defending the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from critics and rebutting falsehoods about the faith's history and theology. The organization has held conferences and produced scholarly volumes, but it doesn't see these efforts as effective in reaching millennials and Gen Zers. Fair Mormon is particularly concerned about the influence of a 2013 volume called the CES Letter, which provides a long list of what it says are problems with the church's descriptions of its past, including Joseph Smith, his first vision, translation of the Book of Mormon, polygamy, and more. So Fair Mormon enlisted a handful of Brigham Young University actors and writers to produce 16 satirical videos with essentially a twofold mission, tear down the CES letter and build up these younger members. But will the mocking nature of these videos work? What is the best way to tackle controversial aspects of Mormon history? Here to discuss discuss those questions is Michael Austin, a Latter-day Saint writer, BYU alumnus and executive vice president for academic affairs at the University of Evansville in Indiana, where he works every day with college students. Michael, welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to have you here with us. So explain to our listeners who may not know, what is the CES letter? Uh, The CES letter is a letter that um, a young man named, I believe, Jeremy Runnels wrote to an actual CES director outlining some of his questions about the church and some of the problems he had seen uh, in church history. And uh, that letter in 2013 was posted to the internet and it got a lot of play. Uh, A lot of people looked at it and and found uh, some of these problem areas for the first time. It has, I believe now become a book that has been published and that you can buy. Um, and it's it's a collection of uh, of historical problems with the Book of Mormon, with Joseph Smith, with polygamy, with DNA evidence. Um, when I was a young person, we called that uh, Gerald and Sandra Tanner, and I still <laughs> yes. have the copy of the Changing World of Mormonism that I bought at a used bookstore at BYU, or when I was at BYU in Provo. And uh, it, it's largely the same things. I mean, these are these are not new objections. These are things that have been part of the uh, of the the general evangelical anti Mormon crusade uh, for at least fifty years. And CES standing for Church Educational System. CES right? standing for Church Educational System uh, yeah. for Institute so, Director. Yeah. What's new is just that this was on a web page instead of in a book. Right. And that allowed a lot of people who, who don't haunt used bookstores with for hours and hours looking for things like I do to find um, to find all of these arguments in a, a, a very streamlined format that could be that could be distributed widely. Do you think many college age Latter-day Saints are aware of it? I don't think very many are. I have two children who are uh, in college. Neither one of them has ever heard of this. Uh, I think that it's it's very popular among a certain set of social media users, you know, certain Facebook groups, certain Twitter feeds, uh, and it has become very popular there. Um, but I don't I don't see a lot of penetration into today's Gen Z college students or high school students. Yeah. Do you, do you 
it, it, if college age or, or that age group, essentially, that sort of age group, Latter-day Saints start having questions about some of these things that they come across, and let's say they go in and Google search some of these, will the CES letter pop up prominently? Um, it probably depends on the search terms that they use. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 might be in the Google stream if they type Book of Mormon problems, uh, but they'll definitely find it if they type in CES letter. Yes. <laughs> and one of the things that these videos from FAIR are doing is making sure that people who have any kinds of questions or doubts go to Google and type in CES letter. So that, that brings us to the videos. Have you seen the videos and what did you think of them? Uh, I did watch the videos. Um, I two, two observations. I mean, rather than just a, a straight thumbs up or thumbs down. But to me, they looked like, uh, first of all, uh, an old person's idea of what young people like. Um, uh, you know, people dressed up at Satan, dressed up as Satan saying, boy, the CES letter sucks. Uh, that just that smacks of how old people think young people think. Uh, I think perhaps more to the point, I think it is a an absolutely convinced person's idea of what an undecided person thinks or an absolutely uh, certain, a person who's absolutely certain about something, thinking about what is going to convince un, uh, people who aren't aren't at all certain and are having questions or doubts. Uh, can I use a little political analogy that will probably seem gratuitous? Yes. But in, in 2016, um, I remember very clearly when, when uh, Donald Trump was winning primaries and things. And um, I even wrote an, uh, an article about this at the time. And a whole lot of people on the left or even the center were saying, this is stupid. Trump is an idiot. This is horrible. Um, and they were sort of trying to bring a, a, a shame factor to people who might be looking at Donald Trump. That completely backfired because people who have serious questions about something or are undecided or on the fence aren't don't don't respond well to the kind of performative outrage that builds support among people who already agree with each other hmm. so the, the sort of echo chamber conversations boy this is stupid i can't even believe this can you even imagine how stupid the ces letter is that kind of rhetoric is very good for building support within an echo chamber, for convincing people who already agree with you to be more outraged about it than they were before. It is really bad at convincing people who have serious questions because it tells them that their serious questions are stupid and people do not respond well to that. And remember, the CES letter is, is set into a context of uh, a whole lot of people on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever it is the kids use these days that I don't even know about. So there are hundreds of people who are boosters of the CES letter. So the people that are encountering it, unless they're just Googling and they find the CES letter, which is unlikely, it's being driven by a social community that they feel included in who's telling them, you got to read this. This is important. And so they read it within the context of, of these friendships that they have, these social media friendships that they have, and people who don't talk down to them and don't treat them like idiots are telling them that this is a good thing, these rebuttals are not going to be effective in that context. 
one thing I would say, Michael, is that um, they actually were written by young people. The scripts were were not what really? people think that young people think are funny. The um, the way it worked was that the people at fair who are of an older generation gave them all their fair materials and then they took them into their style. Nevertheless, you make such a good point, which is that typically mocking doesn't help people. The mocked feel, you know, the people who have questions feel valued. Um, and they're going to go, when they see these, they're going to go right to that community that they already have, that they're building, and say, what about this? And so there will be, there's almost a built-in rebuttal within the context into which this whole dialogue is situated. Yeah, and that's a community, as you say, Michael, they've already sort of grown to trust now. Right. You know, right. Yes, yeah, someone introduced them within that community, too. Like, hey, you should read this. Hey, you should... Did you know this? And like you say, even though those are old, old criticisms that have been around forever, probably since the 19th century, most many, Mm -hmm. um, most most young people, young Latter-day Saints have not heard them. Yes, I I think that that is true. And um, and and that is something I know that uh, in the last five to 10 years, uh, the church has really taken seriously and has um, put forth an effort to, to be better at truth-telling, uh, to be better at uh, looking at these problem areas head-on so that people do encounter them. Uh, there are problem areas in every institution. Um, most religions were founded uh, at a time before there were printing presses and books and historians. And so the problems aren't as evident or as easy to find. Uh, but there are these problems, and, and there are these problems with with uh, other faith groups. There are these problems with countries. There are these problems with, you know, just about anybody you've ever respected has a, a secret life. Um <laughs> So I think that the, the, the fact that there are problems um, should not, should not and, and usually does not, um, make the difference in somebody's participation in the church. You know, most people don't make religious decisions based on uh, DNA evidence in 19th century history. Hmm. Most people go where they feel comfortable. And if they feel really comfortable in a place and they, you know, they're aware of problem areas in in the history of a religion or a country or a club or uh, any institution, they're going to read those problem areas within the context of this is a loving and affirming place where I feel included and I feel that I belong. And and if if the church provides that then then they can bring up these these issues in a way that i, I think won't uh, alienate large numbers of people but if that community is an online community of former mormons who are uh, enamored of the ces letter then um then they're going to read the the criticisms in the CES letter with that same charity and that same uh, affirming this is something that this is part of something that I want to belong to 
so um, so I, I don't see these videos as being particularly helpful in the dynamic where people really make religious decisions. Mormon Land will be right back. Help ensure that Utah's independent voice is never silenced. Become an annual supporting subscriber of the Salt Lake Tribune today and stay up to date with today's news from local journalists and receive a free year of digital access to the New York Times. New website, new nonprofit, same commitment. Be part of the new Tribune. Join us at sltrib.com slash support. Uh, so one question, the, the perspective of FAIR is that the CES letter has a lot of problems with its sourcing. In other words, lots of the criticisms come from uh, an old document of, uh, uh, written by Joseph Smith's neighbors and things like that. Um, and so they they want young people to really look critically at the sourcing of all those things, which is a reasonable thing. But as an educator, you know, young people, uh, unfortunately, aren't well trained in looking at sources, even in news media or whatever. They aren't critical about that. What that, do you think? Yeah, I think that's that's very true. Um, we, we aren't very good at evaluating sources. You know, when I first started teaching, I used to be an English composition teacher, and I started teaching English composition at BYU in 1990. And we used to give a research paper assignment, and there were 10 required sources. And we spent all semester learning how to find 10 required sources in the library because that was such a daunting task. Uh, you know, now you pick up your phone, you type in a few words, and you have 59 million sources. So the problem isn't finding sources anymore. The problem is evaluating sources, evaluating the credibility of the information that we have almost unlimited access to. Um, but critical source analysis belongs to a universe of discourse that is very different than guys dressing up in funny Satan suits and saying, dude, the CES letter sucks. Um, and somebody who who is going to be persuaded by serious critical source analysis probably isn't going to be persuaded by these videos because they're they're not particularly well sourced either. Uh, you know there are some some fairly um, uh, problematic claims that that are made in the videos themselves. So what they're doing is not saying in, a, in an academic way, here, here's the problem with these sources and you should look at it. They're simply rebutting one set of, of poorly sourced assertions with another set of poorly sourced assertions with a little bit more sarcasm um, attached to it. And, and so I don't think that we're really promoting critical thinking by doing that. It, we're just sort of battling uncritical assertions. So can you describe a couple of the videos for our listeners who can't, we can't post the videos on a audio? Yeah, so there is one, uh, I think it's called Mo Wives, Mo Problems, that is uh, trying to defend Joseph Smith against some of the accusations that surround polygamy. And uh, and it goes through a lot of assertions uh, and in the in the meantime, you know, 
gets into a lot of inside baseball kinds of things that is going to drive people away if they're encountering it for the first time. So Joseph Smith married a 14-year-old, and they say, well, boy, yeah, people say that's really bad. But remember, people married teenagers all the time back then. And besides that, we don't even know if they had sex. You know, that that's not a particularly strong argument <laughs> to somebody. <laughs> Uh, and uh, or it sort of makes the counter argument in some yeah. ways, right? <laughs> or Joseph Smith asked married men to have their wives sealed to him, but there's no evidence that these were physical marriages. These were only spiritual marriages. Again, I'm not leaving here with a high level of confidence um, when they make make uh, assertions like that. I'm I'm thinking. As, as somebody who knows this, these debates, I'm thinking uh, there are some very tricky points here, and there are some things that are simply indefensible that we have to admit are indefensible and look at a totality. And the, the, the immediate um, mocking of anybody who thinks there might be any problem with uh, an adult marrying a 14 year old and how, how stupid can we be? This is, they say, presentism, um, I, I think is not helpful, is not particularly well argued. And there, there is, as there usually is in these kinds of, of discussions, there's a complete unwillingness to give an inch. And they're, they're not willing to give up any ground and, and admit that there might be anything to this or there might have been anything wrong with it. And that's that's problematic because um, there are there are things in the church's history that uh, are not defensible. There are things in the church's history that we, we have to say, yeah, the uh, the critics here are correct. This is not something that we can or should defend. And we have to look at uh, uh, the totality of the experience, and we have to look at how the church makes people feel now, uh, rather than try to defend every single criticism of every single thing that has happened in church history in the last 200 years, which is neither necessary nor possible. So you alluded to this earlier. The, ch- the church has tried to confront these more head-on, some of these issues. We, we've talked about the gospel topic essays before that, that address some of the thornier aspects of the history and theology, uh, try to set it in s- some of those into some com- context or, or whatever, nuance where there is some, or acknowledge uh, where there were issues, including the new multi-volume history of the church. However, do those kinds of approaches reach this audience? Uh, is there more the church could do to actually reach this audience? I, I, I don't know how many millennials or Gen Zers, let alone the rest of the members of the church, even know of the gospel topics, so it's let alone study them or read yeah, them. I think the intent of the gospel doc, the gospel topic essays is that they be used in Sunday school classes and, and um, uh, priesthood lessons and that they they become materials that the that the CES uses. I mean they mm-hmm. they've said the institute uh, directors and, said, and seminary teachers should use these materials. So there, I think that, that there's a hope that this gets diffused. Uh, and I think over time that will happen uh, as these get start to get reproduced in manuals. Um, 
there, there still is a very reflexive tendency on behalf of people who are really, really have strong testimonies of the church uh, that any criticism must immediately be rebutted and dismissed. And I don't think that's helpful. There is a, a sort of all or nothing. And I think the church is aware of this and is trying to trying to acknowledge that there are some problem areas in the past. Mm-hmm. But let me go back to, to kind of how I led on this topic. If people feel accepted and comfortable in any community, they are going to look for reasons to stay. If people feel alienated and uh, not accepted in the community, they're going to look for reasons to leave. If somebody is looking for a reason to leave the church and they come across the CES letter, it's going to give them reasons to leave. If somebody is looking for reasons to stay and they read the gospel topics essays, I think that's going to give them a reason to stay. But it, it is with this generation, as with all generations, um, people, people want to belong. People want to feel that their values are respected. Uh, I, I do believe, from my experience, the largest number of Gen Z and millennials who are leaving the church are not leaving over 19th century history. They're leaving over um, women's issues and LGBTQ issues. And they, they don't feel that the church values them or their friends. Uh, they don't feel that their understanding of the world is accepted at the church. They feel that, uh, that things that they believe very sincerely are being mocked in church. And so they don't feel comfortable. Some of those people encounter the CES letter on their way out, but they're already looking for a reason to leave. And I think that the, the best response, and this, this is very cliche, but the best response is just to be better at loving and accepting each other and, uh, and then make sure that people are looking for reasons to stay because they will find those too. If they're looking for reasons to stay, those are there. They're not going to find them in these videos. These videos will not appeal to anybody who's on the fence. They will strengthen the belief of people who already believe. They will increase the outrage of people who are already outraged. But they're not going to give people reasons to stay. Because people have to be looking for reasons to stay. And and so... I think that all of the, the issues that are covered in these videos are secondary issues to why people make religious decisions. I have oh, another question that's kind of along this line. Um, uh, M. Russell Ballard told, ironically, CES uh, leaders several years ago, um, and this is in relation to the Gospel Topics essays, that they should know those at the back of their hands and that they should take questions, sincere questions when their students have them about these issues seriously and sincerely. These videos do just the opposite uh, in some respects. Well, they do do just the opposite. Yeah. So just the uh, approach itself, at least according to Emerald Ballard, could be damaging, right? I, I think I think that uh, Elder Ballard was correct that um, that when students ask these questions and 
and there's a there's a huge taboo against even asking these questions in a church setting. So when students summon the strength to ask these questions, they want to be told, you know, that's a really good question. And they want to be told, I, uh, I appreciate you, I value you, I understand what you're going through. They don't want to be told that, um, that this is stupid and they are uh, incapable of actual thought and that they're more evil than Satan. <laughs> that, that just doesn't work. As I say, that will strengthen the belief of people whose belief doesn't need strengthening. But that's not the audience. Um, So, Michael, have you ever seen any really effective response to criticism? Have you seen anything work? Like someone for the first time meets these historical anomalies, problems, controversies, is shaken. Mm -hmm. But have you ever seen anything that diffuses that feeling of, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Um, there are there are two different questions there, if I can if I can split them. One question is, have I found things that that work to help people understand the historical problems? And the answer is yes. The second question is, have I found things that work when people hear of these things for the first time and they feel that they've been lied to? And the answer is no. People, the, 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 the response that I do have never found a successful way um, to, to mitigate is when people say, all of my life I've been told X and I just learned Y. And I can't, that, that creates the cognitive dissonance. And it's not, I can't believe that Joseph Smith married a 14-year-old. It's, I can't believe that these people that I know and love have been lying to me about this and haven't told me about this, because that's a betrayal of trust. Uh, That's a betrayal of trust right now between people that I know. Something that happened 200 years ago, there are, those things can be openly discussed as problem areas. And I think there are a lot of productive ways, but but sometimes the productive way is saying, um, this wasn't a very good thing because the church is a human institution and human institutions don't do everything right all the time. And I think that that's more often than not the right answer to some of these these problem areas. So so yes, the problem areas can be, I, I think disgust and concerns can be resolved, but feelings of betrayal, uh, uh, the feelings that somebody I know has betrayed me, those are much, much more difficult to deal with. So I, I, I guess it's back to your point that if questions, if they come upon these historical problems in the context of a loving faith community, there are ways to explain them, not explain them away, but explain the reality of human behavior. But in the context of that behavior, I mean, that community, which meets other needs. So that would argue for having some few people in every congregation in the church who could, who could be the wise person that people go to, right? Would, would, that, would that be effective? 
yeah, I think that 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 people people we are we are creatures of relationships. And the relationships that we have, that we value, that we trust, are going to be the context in which we receive all kinds of information. Uh, the worst thing you can ever do is lie to a young person about something um, that they will then find out you lied to them about. And then, you know, you, you just say, no, that didn't happen. Joseph Smith never married a 14-year-old. Uh, you, you say that, and then somebody encounters the evidence. And then, then the evidence is not saying they don't. The person is not upset because of the thing that they found out about history. They're upset that you lied to them. And so, uh, not lying, taking these questions when they come up. I mean, you don't have to go into primary and and sing songs about polygamy, but um, <laughs> but ask questions come up. We have a tendency, most people are, are uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And that's a problem because most conversations worth having make you uncomfortable. And so people, when they get questions like this, when teachers get questions like this, they're going to, you know, they're very tempted to say, no, that didn't happen. That's just a lie. That's fake news. That's fake history. Those are the anti-Mormons who were just out to get us. And then, you know, enough of these things are documentable that um, at some point those, those rebuttals fall apart. And then people deal with the, the mistrust in the people who they, they thought cared about them and they thought were teaching them. That's what's devastating. <laughs> And I think Jana Reese's research in The Next Mormons talks about that issue was not so much the historical questions or the theological questions, but the trust questions. Uh, but it seems like you're also saying uh, uh, one more question along this line that the church itself has to set a broader uh, comfortability <laughs> um, uh, zone for people within the faith, which cuts to larger questions of policies and, and teachings and practices, correct? So that yes. people are comfortable in that environment, then they can navigate those issues more easily, correct? Yes, I, I think that is absolutely true. So what are your ideas for doing that? Um, I think... <laughs> That I, I'm pausing here because I have to think about that for a minute. Um, I think that the the current church curriculum is a big problem. The 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 youth Sunday school and I am a youth Sunday school teacher in my ward. If we ever meet again, <laughs> uh, I teach the 16 to 18 year olds. Uh, that has been my calling for the last four and a half years. And uh, these kids are smart. They are, they can be talked to, they have questions. And I think that uh, the church youth curriculum, and frankly, the church adult curriculum does not do that. It, it still presents a very, very whitewashed um, history. And it, it presents a, a very, very unrealistic view of the scriptures and it it uh it people who look at that curriculum and feel that they've been lied to or that things have been covered up um 
are, are probably not entirely wrong. So I think that the great, and I do think that one of the great strengths of the church is that we don't have professionals doing professionals jobs. I mean, we don't necessarily have professional teachers doing all of the teaching. Uh, we don't have professional singers doing all of the singing. We don't have professional uh, speakers doing all of the speaking. And I think that that is a strength, but that means that people rely very heavily on the official materials and the manuals. And if those manuals don't have any room for confronting head on some of these problem areas, then it's going to be very much a tendency for people to uh, to simply dismiss questions or to, to organize the discussion so that these problem areas never come up. And when that happens, that's in, in the age of the Internet, you just can't do that. People are not going to not find these things. Uh, they will encounter them whether they want to or not, especially if they're in social media circles. And we we don't have any control over the the millions of social media circles out there now and the people that are in them. You have people directing them to online resources that are all about the problems. So I I think that the curriculum needs uh, some serious updating. and uh, needs to provide ways for teachers to deal with these questions as they come up. Um, I, I do think that some of the, the, maybe not the policies, but at least the rhetoric uh, around LGBTQ issues, almost everybody I know uh, personally, who I've worked with, who has has left the church in their teenage years, that has been the issue that they've left over, because because they go to church and they hear people they know being mocked, people they care about being mocked and uh, and spoken of very negatively, and and that's that's where a lot of people feel that they have to choose between people they love and the church. And they're going to pick the people that they love because we're human beings and that's what we do. So I think that both at the policy level and the rhetoric level, those are things that um, that the church has got to has has got to address head on or or they're going to continue to lose uh, the Gen Z people who have who have no tolerance for discrimination. Mm. They're, they live in a culture, they live in an, an environment where, uh, where discrimination seems um, it, it, not just morally wrong, but just intellectually untenable. Well, Michael Austin, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. And stay safe, okay? I will try my best. And our thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up. And we'll talk again next time on Mormonland. Land.